This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. How do I not raise a spoiled kid in Hollywood? Ha. Um, You would not believe the number of private schools that have had me in to have this conversation with the parent body. Actually, you probably would believe it. I would believe it. I get more questions about private jets there than I do nearly any place else. Oh my God. What is the best way to set a kid up for success from birth with a savings account? Well, that's a great question. So I... Um, did not know the laws governing this. So as soon as I peed on that pregnancy stick and got two stripes, I said, I got to open a a scholarship 529. And I took the stick down and they said, oh no, no, you actually have to have a person with the social security number to open up a 529 college account. You can't show up with a peed on stick at the bank. So that's a good tip. But as soon as you have said baby, (laughs) Susan, Hey everybody, welcome back to Katie's Crib. You guys, I, you know how I feel about this podcast and I just feel so lucky because I selfishly get to have people teach me things that I don't know a lot about. And one of those topics I don't really know about is how to teach kids about money. We do a lot of work on this podcast when it comes to race and sex, other hot topics, but I don't think anyone ever puts money on this list of conversations to have with our kids, and it is a big deal. So what we have here for you today is actually a two-parter. Half of today's episode is with New York Times Your Money columnist, Ron Lieber. He's incredible, and my husband is playing him in a movie. No joke. More on that later. After Ron, I then talk to this incredible duo that goes by the name of the Fiscal Firecrackers, actress Susan Yeagley and personal financial expert Galia Gishon host their own podcast that educates, entertains, and empowers people about their money. So let's get started. For everyone listening, Adam 
is in this movie coming out called She Said. It's based on an article that Ron Lieber's wife, Jody Cantor, wrote. She Said is a movie about the reporting that led to the Harvey Weinstein whole going to prison nightmare. Uh, Jody is played by Zoe Kazan and Ron is played by Adam. And when Adam said he was playing Ron Lieber, I went down a huge Google deep dive of who Ron is. And my first thought was, um, hello, I have to get him on Katie's crib and I have to have him teach us how we are not going to mess up our kids when it comes to money. Okay. So back to Ron. He's known for being the Your Money columnist since 2008. He's also co-author of five books, including The Price You Pay for College and The Opposite of Spoiled. Before coming to the New York Times, Ron wrote for The Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, and Fortune. He lives in Brooklyn with his wife, Jody Cantor, an investigative reporter for The Times and their two daughters. Welcome, Ron, to Katie's Crib. Hello. You're starting to get to this, but why money? How did you get into this? Sure. So I write about money all day. I have since roughly 2002. <laughs> yeah, when I was at the <laughs> Wall Street imagine. Journal. Um, I think if there's anything that I'm good at or best at or better at than a lot of people, it's about making the connection between money and feelings. Right. There are so many feelings that are evoked, that are invoked, right? When we talk about this stuff. Um, and we often don't acknowledge it or we're afraid to even speak of it in the first place. I think, you know, we've gotten more used to talking about race, at least semi comfortably. Uh, I think, you know, many of us have gotten better about sex, but this thing is harder, right? Um, particularly if you're lucky enough to have more than average. People don't know where to start and they don't know quite what the point of the exercise is. Um, so, you know, that's where I began. How do I not raise a, we're going to go through questions quickly, guys, because I could uh, you should see the amount of notes I have on this guy. And we might have to do a part two of this episode. How do I not raise a spoiled kid in Hollywood? Ha. Um, you would not believe the number of private schools that have had me in to have this conversation with the parent body. Actually, you probably would believe it. Um, I would believe it. Yeah. It's, so the, the Hollywood, LA area conversations um, are interesting to me in part because I get more questions about private jets there than I do nearly any place oh, else. Oh, my God. What are People we going to do about so the rich. jet? What are we going <laughs> to do when the kid refuses to fly on the jet? What do we do when the kid is late? arriving for the jet are you kidding me oh I my god i that not. is that yeah. that is insane like that is not that is that is absolutely wild look i think people for the most part are trying to do better than their parents right like our collective goal is if our parents had x amount it would be awesome if i had more and then it would be awesome if my kids could worry less about this kind of thing but at the same time you're trying to teach the values that you may have had growing up because you did have less. Is the deprivation tactic something that's worth it? Like you can't have that lacrosse stick. You can't have that class. You can't have that private tutor. So here's the thing, right? We all may be luckier than average. We may be way luckier than average. We may have achieved that dream of having more and doing more than our parents. But that doesn't mean our kids need to live that way all of the time, right? No matter how much we have, we're always 
subconsciously quite often making trade-offs in our grown-up lives, right? You know, trade-offs with our time and trade-offs with our money. And so a big part of what we're trying to do with kids starting at like the earliest ages, starting at four or five, is giving them ever-increasing amounts of money for them to practice on, but a limited amount so that they learn to make choices, right? To make trade-offs, because that's what we grown-ups do. And we're in the adult-making business here, right? So it sort of begins there with that overarching philosophy, strategy, and then the tactics come later. But you, you have to start with figuring out, like, what is the point of this exercise anyway? Like, what are we actually trying to teach them? And how much can we get them to do the thing themselves so that they're ready at 18 or 22 to go out and do it without us? With your kids, did you practice an allowance? Did you practice, um, you know, I had Kristen Bell on and she has a big thing of like, if you want a toy or you're getting a toy, you have to donate seven. That's her number. That's how her household works. Did you have rules like this in your house? We didn't have that rule, though my cousins in San Diego did. One in, one out, which um, I really like. I mean, because we live in a New York City apartment, that just sort of happens naturally. Like, we don't have that much space and stuff just, sure. like, has to go. You know, we have no choice. And so, you know, my, my kids have learned that almost by their nature. So allowance, yeah. Money is for practice. Um, you know, you start at roughly the age of five or six when they start asking for stuff. You can impose a rule at, in your household where, um, you know, parents buy or a parent buys uh, everything uh, that the kid needs, right? But only some of the things that they want and the things that they want happen, uh, you know, at birthdays um, and at, you know, December holidays, holidays, if you mark any of those, right? And right. then maybe everything else that they want comes out of that allowance. And so they begin to learn to make choices. Wow. So you started this pretty early. Yeah. Um, so starting <laughs> at five or six, um, you know, a buck a week for every year they've been on the planet, right? So the six-year-old gets six bucks a week, and she's got to divide it between a save jar and a spend jar and a right. give jar. Um, ideally, you know, saving is for, you know, webs kind of whimsical purchases. Save, you know, we encourage and people can require their kids to, you know, hold that money for a certain amount of time. And then the giving jar is for causes that are important or, you know, people who need the money more than we do. And, you know, then you're sort of off and running from there. It's so good. My husband was raised. I'm so glad he's playing you. <laughs> My family comes from nothing, and my dad did really well, but he also um, believed every day is a holiday. I've seen a lot of highs, and I've seen a lot of lows, but my parents have lived a very full experiential life, which is where I always lean towards. Adam is very much in the, there are, if you have $3, you spend one, you save one, you give one to charity. Like, that's a non-negotiable. We also are in the camp of if something's more expensive, it's better, which is what I believe. <laughs> and what Adam is like, that is not true. <laughs> like, which brings me to my question. I love when you say this, we're, we're going to get to this state or great. You know what I mean? Again, a top flight school can cost nearly $350,000 at this point. My child is four, so it's going to be way more than that. That's insane. When parents are planning college savings or retirement, what do you advise? 
Yeah. So here's the thing. I'm glad you brought this up because you and Adam come from different backgrounds. You have different philosophies. And before you can do anything with your kids, before you can get started, you need to make sure you agree, right? And not just when it comes to your kids and how you're going to talk to them and how much allowance they're going to get and what the rules are going to be. I mean, that's important because it's short term. But hopefully everyone, if there's two parents in the family, um, are thinking hard about whether they have the same goals for their future, right? And so, uh, you know, maybe you went to a terrific state school and that's going to be good enough for your family because you're going to spend, you know, what's now an extra $200,000 per kid, assuming you don't get any financial aid, you know, you're going to spend that doing something else, right? Maybe you value having a home in an expensive city that is large enough to host the grandparents. Maybe you value having an escape cabin in Maine or Minnesota or wherever it is that you happen to live. And that's where the extra money is going to come from because you feel like the value of, of, of those experiences and the memories that you're going to make is actually like better than the difference between Stanford and Berkeley or Cornell and Binghamton or name your favorite, you know, state with the fancy school and the state school. So the two of you have to be on the same page. And if it's just one of you, it's really helpful to find somebody, either a professional or somebody you trust who knows a lot about money, to probe you and push you to make sure you're being emotionally honest with yourself about what it is that you want and what it is that you need. What are we talking about in terms of trade-offs with between retirement and college, which is a big thing for a lot of people? Yeah. So, I mean, we could go really deep on this personal finance question. I mean, let's start about uh, with what the wrong answer is. Yes. Um, there's this uh, slogan almost in the world of financial planning that a lot of professionals and, and some journalists too um, default to. And they say, well, look, you can't borrow for retirement, but you can borrow for college. So save for retirement first, particularly when you're younger, because the money has that much more time to grow. And most of that is true, but some of it isn't. You can borrow for retirement. Um, There are a variety of ways to extract money from your home if you're lucky enough to own one, and you may well have it mostly or completely paid off by the time you're retired. And, you know, so we, you know, we don't want to get like really deep into the technicalities there. Um, But if somebody says that to you, they don't actually know what they're talking about. So what is the right answer? Well, yeah, you know, much, much depends on on your values, right? Um, If you are sort of hell bent on making sure your kid has the same kind of education that you did, and you happen to have gone to a private college, you just need to be real with yourself about the fact that if, you know, if your kids are or your age, Katie, you, you're looking at probably half a million bucks each after taxes if, you know, the tuition keeps growing apace. So be kind to yourself, right? Adam turned out okay having gone to a, a, a state school, right? It changed the course of his life. I think about this all the time. And I think about Julie, you know, I feel so... First of all, 
I'm such a hippie and and Adam and I disagree about this where I you know my dad didn't go to college and he was very successful at different times in his life um you know I joke around where I'm like I just want my kid to be a feather wizard in the woods playing a piccolo whatever <laughs> like that's <laughs> You know, because I don't even know what a feather. No, wizard neither is. do I. But I just <laughs> okay. gives me such an image of like, fuck the system. It's f- screwed anyway. Like, why are we? Pay- this is sucks. Like, I get so angry. I'm like, why are we going to pay for this? And then it's not even like guaranteed that the person gets a job. Like, this is horrible. And blah blah blah. But college was the best four years of my life. I mean, for so many reasons. I mean, I had the most. I loved my college experience, my best friends and community of artists and moms are my college friends. Like it is my, thank God my dad paid for that. Thank God. Now, Adam's, it's so incredible because Adam was supposed to be a Tar Heel. His entire family went to UNC. His mom, his dad, that's where they met. His brother, his brother met his wife there. His grandma was the first graduating class. His other grandmother was a de- was the house mother at um, ZBT at UNC for 45 years. The dean of UNC calls Adam's dad, who is the dean of the, of the School of Tourism and Hospitality at Temple University in Philadelphia, and says, your son is not going to get in. I am so embarrassed and I am so sorry changed the course of Adam's life. He had been in Tar Heels onesies since he was born. And thank God, because your life is supposed to be whatever, like, just meaning to say it it was a miracle that he didn't get at UNC. All of his friends from sleepaway camp were going to University of Maryland. He said, forget it. I'll go to University of Maryland with my boys. He went and joined the sketch team The sketch team said, you should be a drama major. He was like, I should. He switched to being a drama major when he was a senior at University of Maryland, which caused him to move out to L.A., which caused him to meet me. I'm I'm convinced had he not been had he gone to UNC, I don't know if we'd ever met. You know, if our parents managed to do whatever the equivalent is of today's $350,000 education for us back in the day, um, things are really different right now, right? The costs have gone up at a steeper trajectory than healthcare has, right? I mean, there's basically nothing out there that's, you know, increased in in cost, at least at the, the list price, the rack rate, the way our higher education has. So stop beating yourself up if you're tempted to make a different choice, right? right? right. Um, you know, Jody and I have done it through like three jobs each, you know? Um, and, and that was a that was a choice that we made, right? But you don't have to make that choice. Um, you can make a different choice. No, it does. It's really important to hear, though, that there are options like there are options. You don't have to. I remember my brother, um, Adam's brother, who lives in Virginia, who's really successful. But he was like, no, no, no. We're already talking to Ayla a lot about going to the state school for two years, getting a lot of her prerequisites done. And like, this is the type of kid Ayla is. Like, she wanted that. But I, it was the first time I ever heard that that was like a plan. Financially, what yeah. was best for the family was like, oh, you're going to do one school and get this stuff done and then transfer into this one. Like, I was like, wow, like he's really been thinking about it, really planning. Um, but it just opened my eyes that there are options. 
Yeah, I mean, this was the thing I learned more than anything um, in writing the price you pay for college. I, I was trying to test myself. Most of the places I went to report were places I'd never been before, right? Because those were the the, the places that um, that were least familiar, and I could I could benefit and readers benefit um, more. Uh, you know, the, the the more reporting you do, and the best perspective you have, right? Or the more perspective you have. And the thing that it cemented for me was that, like, there are dozens and dozens and dozens of places where our daughters could go and um, have their brains properly rearranged in the classroom, find the friends who will pick them up and carry them through life, and get a credential that's going to be meaningful in whatever marketplace they choose to swim around in, right? The Ivy League doesn't have a monopoly on this. In fact, I I don't know about you out there, Katie, but um, here in New York, I I hear a lot of stories from people who don't really want to hire kids from the Ivy League for a variety of reasons, whether it's like educational or socioeconomic diversity, or it's just because they think those kids come out a little bit entitled, right? So are, are you possibly doing yourself a disservice by, by having one of those degrees? I would, I would never go that far because, you know, there are all sorts of reasons to go to schools and all sorts of things that different schools can do, right, you know, for different kids. But I'm just trying to get people, you know, kind of off of this head trip where there's something wrong if your kid doesn't go to one of like the 20 most rejective schools in the country. Again, I've learned so much from this podcast about like, yeah, like talk to your kids about it, which I don't know why my parents like... I mean, my parents didn't talk to us about shit. Like, it was so great, and I had such a lovely childhood. But when I really look back, I'm like, God, yeah, we never talked about race. We never talked about sex. We definitely never talked about money. I mean, when I was 12, I told my dad I was going to Tisch School of the Arts, and the poor guy paid for it. But I just assumed he would. Like, how was that never a conversation? Now I know that that really took away from my parents' savings. Like, you know... Thank God I'm an actor who can pay my health insurance, but that wasn't a guarantee. I think one of the coolest things my dad did was he paid for my school. And the day I graduated, he said, congratulations, you're at zero. That doesn't happen for anyone, but I'm done and good luck. All I'm going to give you is I'm going to cover your health insurance till you're 26 and I'm going to pay for your cell phone bill because I'm demanding you call me every day to let me know you're alive. But the rest is on you. And I'm so fucking grateful he did that because I can't tell you how many friends I had whose parents were still massively supporting them in their early 30s. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm either going to have to move home, which seems like death at this point. (laughs) I mean, it's not, but that's sort of my story. But at 14, you're having a conversation with your kid about what is realistic for your child in what kind of school or planning they want to do. Is that also what you advise? Totally. And it starts way earlier than 14, but I'm I'm glad you brought that up um, and talked about your old undergraduate experience and what happened in your household. Sometimes, many times, um, you know, parents who had a kind of roller coaster pain for college experience growing up, which I did too, right? So my parents' marriage broke up when I was in middle school. My dad lost his job. He didn't earn much income to speak of for a couple of years. So, you know, we were deep in financial aid mode. And more than almost anything else, um, I didn't want my kids to have to think about that for a second. And so I've made it clear to our older one, um, starting at, you know, 
eight years old, right? When the when the college savings account statement comes in the mail, I remind her that like we're on it, right? And right now we're you know whatever it is, sixty eight percent of the way towards paying it in full, and she knows. Wow, I have goosebumps, Ron. I have goosebumps. That what an achievement. And also so cool for her to know that you've really worked for this. So like, I think she'll think about it when she goes to school. And instead of like getting wasted, I mean, whatever, like that's important learning skills too. But like, I, I remember, want her to get wasted. <laughs> yeah, of course, you know, but like you want her to experience the social learnings of college 100%. I mean, it's a big growing up moment. But also she'll think about like my dad worked has worked really hard and really long to have paid for this for me. You know, part of what I want to make sure that she understands is just like contextually, right? There's a reason for this. It's because I had to think about it a lot. I don't want her to have to think about it a lot, but I want her thinking about other things instead, right? Filling her brain space, mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. with one or two nights a week of alcohol, but like four <laughs> or five nights a week no, of like thinking family. hard about the yeah. world, right? right and and right. her place in it. But it, but it doesn't start at 14. You know, it starts for many parents at the age of four or five or six when kids start asking questions about money, right? And we can't just shut up or shut down at that point. You know, we need to be thinking about age-appropriate answers that also lead to all of the values that we hold dear. So if it's about a spending question, right, we're thinking in the back of our heads about modesty and prudence and thrift and learning about the things that make you happiest and spending as much as you like safely and affordably can on those, and then scrimping on all the stuff that doesn't matter to you, right? Um, you know, if it's a saving question, right, we're thinking about delayed gratification. I mean, the world conspires against patients and children now. Anything you could want or need, you know, comes with a push of a button on these goddamn phones, right? You don't have to sit through commercials anymore. Like, you don't have to go to Blockbuster, right? No, and my my son's having a full meltdown when the Amazon box isn't for him. He's like, I don't understand why you got something and I didn't get something. I mean, it's it's fucking wild. You know, Hanukkah's coming or whatever and you're trying to hide these. I mean, the kids run to the Amazon boxes. They know when they're getting delivered. It's insane. Uh, Next level. I don't know how to parent and teach like what you're saying. So are you supposed to say if your kid really wants to go to a school that you can't afford or really wants a toy they can't you can't afford or do you say simply i'm so sorry we can't afford that is that the language no, I, I think there's there's two things, right? First of all, you've got to get straight in your own head um, and straight, you know, with your spouse if you have one and your ex if you have one of those, mm-hmm. definitely, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's the ability to pay and then there's the willingness to do so. And if there's a gap or a gulf between those things, you're going to have some explaining to do especially to older kids, because, you know, they're listening all the time, they're picking up stuff by osmosis, and they can sense when something's affordable, and you're just not letting them have it. So we don't want to lie to them um, about whether we can afford something or not. We want to speak in the language of choices, of trade-offs. Like, we're not going to do this now, because there's something else we want to do later. Or we're not going to do this now, because it's not actually good for you to have everything you want, right? We're actually trying to 
train you to be a 22-year-old grown-up who's going to be cut off, sent to zero, except for insurance till the age of 26, and the cell phone (laughs) plan so you can call your parents every day. Did you think that was a good plan he did? Yeah, that's not bad. I like that. It was really effective. Like, I walked into 8,000 restaurants and applied that day. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, shit. Now, Julie Lithcott-Hames came on the podcast, and she said of all the kids, for for those listening to remind you, she um, wrote the book How to Raise an Adult, and she was the dean at Stanford University for a very long time, and she's wonderful. But she was saying of all the kids she's come across, the ones that are actually successful in adults, and again, I want to talk to you about this because what is your definition of success? And what she means is not necessarily financially. I mean, they have a job that they like to do. They have meaningful relationships in their lives and they feel fulfilled in the life that they are leading. She was saying of all the kids that are successful adults, the things they have in common are across the board. They either did chores growing up or had a part-time job or both. I couldn't agree more. Not that I would dare to contradict Dean Julie, who is like a goddess, <laughs> goddess! as far as I'm concerned, and a, and a friend, but oh, also I bet. A goddess. I knew it. I knew it. I was like, these two people are the smartest people I've ever had the pleasure to speak with. Okay, so. Well, thanks. So Julie's an ace. So l- let me start here, right, um, with what Coach Steve Polis at the Francis W. Parker School taught, in fact, forced our eighth grade basketball team to memorize. Um, It's a quote about success um, from John Wooden, the legendary UCLA men's basketball coach. Success is a peace of mind, which is the direct result of self-satisfaction in knowing that you did your best to become the best that you are capable of becoming, right? So notice there's nothing in there about money. There's nothing in there about Goldman Sachs or Teach for America or Y Combinator or being an assistant at William Morris and, you know, having your brains beaten out. Or flying that private jet. None of that's in there. (laughs) Right. Right. It's it's the feeling of self-satisfaction and knowing that you did your best, you know, at the thing that you and the person right? That you want to become. So, you know, for me, it starts there. But yeah, I mean, Julie is absolutely right. And I I think it makes sense for kids to work outside the home, not just chores, um, so they can report to somebody who's going to fire their ass, right? right? If if you're not performing, right? Your your parent or parents are not going to fire you, right? They might punish you or whatever or ground you. But like, right. you know, it's, it's, it's good to, you know, to kind of have that um, on the line there. Should kids get paid an allowance for just doing the household crap to be a part of this family and this household? Nope. Katie, do you get paid for doing chores? No, and I'm glad you've heard it here. I'm so tired of saying it. I'm like, why are we giving our children treats for like taking a dump, making their bed, clearing the (laughs) table? Like we're all All doing it. I didn't get a treat for doing that. Like you have to be a part of this family and we don't want to live like pigs. This is just what it takes for you to get to be a part of this household. Right. And and you did not compensate Adam for all that time he spent in the kitchen occupying your older one while the little one was attached to you. Yeah. Right. Adam didn't get compensated. No one's either. getting compensated. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> OK, great. So that is not what they get allowance for. What do they get allowance for? What are the things? 
they get allowance for practice, right? Money is a tool for learning the same way that the ingredients in the kitchen are for a, a kid who's grown up on the Food Network and wants to cook for a hobby or soccer cleats or a musical instrument, right? right. We expect them to respect uh, those things and we expect them to practice because, you know, we want them to you know, get get a sense of what it feels like to achieve mastery, right? Or at least competence, right? The chores are just something they do because we want the household to be orderly, because we love one another, and everybody has to pitch in. And, and here's the other problem. I mean, you can pay for chores, but the challenge there is, is if you've got a good saver on your hands, eventually, you know, they're going to say to you, I- I've got enough money right now. You know, so I'm not going to do the chores. And then you're really screwed. You sort of smart ass 12 year old gets the smirk. And then and then what are you going to do? Then you're boxed into a corner and you've got to change the rules again. That's what I always tell people about potty training. They get into this big trouble. It's if we give an M&M. Every time you pee on the potty, I know people who are literally trying to gift trips to Disneyland in exchange for a poop on the potty. It's like, guys, <laughs> you are, this was a bad spiral for you. This was not good. So, okay, Ron, I need to know, how do you teach, you know, gratitude when a kid doesn't like a present or a gift and they're just being spoiled brats? Like, you know, come on, kids say the darndest things. How do you personally instill gratitude in your daughters? Yeah, I, I, I mean, and look, I, I don't claim success on this front. Um, I, I think most kids are like this. Um, you know, they I- express disappointment when they are disappointed. You know, we spend the first couple of years like begging them to articulate their feelings rather than just like bursting into tears or throwing a tantrum. And so you can't be surprised or upset when they blurt out that like they don't like something or they're sad. Yeah, and you're like asking them to lie. Which I'm like, I'm never asking him to do that. This is so confusing. Yeah, I, I don't know that we ever want to ask them to no. lie. And I, 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 I try no. not to ever lie to them. Yeah, no, right? No. But it's so it's perfectly fine to express gratitude and appreciation for the thought and the care that went into thinking of you in the first place and then getting something for you, you know, in the second one. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect success from yourself on that front or from a kid until they're, you know, five, six, seven, right? All you can do is just sort of take them aside beforehand and say, hey, I've got really good news. There may be presents here. Um, you may not like the presents. That's okay. Just be nice and say thank you. Like that's something that they can understand, I think, you know, once you say it five or 10 times. I caught myself yesterday, speak, going back to the live thing, I caught myself yesterday, we were at a um, kid's birthday party and there was a goodie bag. He was like so excited. And the mom was right there and clearly worked very hard on the goodie bag. And my son, you know, th- thrashed it open, did all this stuff, and then just looked at her and again, I don't like anything in here. <laughs> and I was like, then yesterday I brought it up and I said, well, you know, you have to say thank you. And I love it. And then I was like, oh, my God, this is the worst parenting moment ever. Don't do that. Don't do what I just said. That's not true. That's what I meant. Like, oh, I'm asking him to lie. That makes no sense and is completely confusing. What I just have to say is you just say thank you so much. That's it. That's it. That's it. Um, Any piece of advice on not raising a spoiled brat? (laughs) So uh, 
I think the the first thing to think about, right, is that these kids are going to have a ton of questions. They're going to come fast and furious, um, and you have to be ready to answer them, right? Um, money, whether you have more than average or less than average, is not something to be ashamed about. And you know where you've ended up on the socioeconomic ladder is also not something to be ashamed about, even if you feel like you could have and should have made different choices in your life. This is not the time um, to sort of work that out mm. when your kids ask questions. It starts there, right? But then, uh, you know, it sort of goes on throughout the ages of like four to 24, where you are not only giving them opportunities, ever increasing ones, you know, to spend and to save and to give, but you're also talking to them about the choices that they've made, right? The choices that they've made and whether they feel regret about that thing that the seven-year-old bought three weeks ago that's now broken or abandoned. Um, but also, you know, looking for openings in your, you know, if not daily, then like weekly life to narrate for them the choices you're making um, or the choices you've made recently and whether they were good ones, right? Because they're watching our every move, every move. Right. Can you give an example of that? Gosh, um, in our own lives? Uh, yeah. Y you know, post-pandemic, I've said to my older daughter, who shares my um, eclectic and, you know, passionate taste for seeing live music, mm. about which I'm so thrilled, you know, I said to her point blank, right, you know that we save a lot of money, right? You know that we work really hard. Um but having been cooped up, you know, for two years, more or less, with a few exceptions, um, this is the time to get out and experience stuff. And for us to get out and experience stuff before you fly the coop. So I made a list of bucket list concert venues oh, in the United this, States. Oh, this is the coolest! And we're going to all of them, right? So I took her to Radio City a couple of days ago to see Bob Weir. Wow! And we're going to Red Rocks in June. And we're going to the Greek in Berkeley in October. And then the Hollywood Bowl, uh, you know, whenever we can get there. And all of the freaking flyer miles we, we built up, we're not even spending that much money. Like all the stuff that we couldn't use for a couple of years. We're just going out and blowing it. You're the coolest dad in the world. I, I'll take that compliment any day. Okay, last question. Parenthood is? Parenthood is um, trying to imprint all of the values that we hold dearest on their silly little empty minds <laughs> and then sending them off knowing they're going to be good people, you know, whether they're uh, extremely affluent or, you know, earn or have less than um, we do. Um, we know that they're going to be okay because, um, you know, they're good people who understand how to be patient and generous and prudent um, have a sense of perspective about their place in the world, um, and also curiosity about how they got there and how they can get to the place that they want to be. Ron Lieber, you are a treasure, a gem, and a gift to us all. Everyone, please run and buy these books. I can't even tell you how you've like literally changed how we're going to be doing this. Um, and I thank you in advance for helping not screw up my child further when it comes to money. Thank um, you. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. 
Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the skylight frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to, from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? And meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Katie's Crib. I am so excited about today's guests. We have a very, very, very dear mutual friend. They are big podcasters themselves. So if you don't know, now you know. I am talking about this incredible duo that goes by the name of The Fiscal Firecrackers. I mean, come on. Have to have them on the podcast. We've got Susan Yeagley. She is an actress. Um, Her television credits include recurring roles in CBS, Rules of Engagement, Foxes Till Death. In addition, she's guest starred on ER, Friends, Reno 911. I mean, come on. You name it. In addition to her acting career, she has a voracious appetite to learn about earning, saving, and growing money. She's married to stand-up comedian and SNL alum Kevin Nealon. They created a magical son, who we're going to talk about, named Gable Ness Nealon. Dang, what a great name. Okay, the other half of the incredible fiscal firecrackers is Galia Gishan. She's an independent personal financial expert with more than 20 years in financial services, including nearly 10 years on Wall Street. She's the founder of Down to Earth Finance, a company that focuses on independent personal finance education. She's been teaching at Barnard College's Athena Center for Leadership, Freelancers Union for 10 plus years, and Yale School of Management. Er, fancy Yale. She's been widely quoted in the New York Times, NBC, CNN, and more. Gali is also the author of My Money Matters, which was featured on the Today Show, and the author of the published fiction, The Accidental Suffragist. She lives with her two teen daughters. I want to hear all about them. Welcome, you fiscal firecrackers, to Katie's Crib. 
I get to have this Katie's Crib podcast as an excuse to try to learn and, and be a great mom, which is good and bad because I learn stuff, but also then I know how bad I'm messing up. But <laughs> you guys are way ahead of me. Your kids are like adults. Your kids are like grownups. You like yes. did it. The turkey is basted. The turkey is cooked. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> it just needs a little bit of basting, but it's cooked. <laughs> oh, I need so much basting still. It's exhausting. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Um, okay. For you all listening, um, Fiscal Firecrackers is so amazing because, Susan, you're a self-taught money interested enthusiast and Galia you are an expert and so our way in is through Susan and then Galia's got all the answers but um I think especially with young girls and women we really sadly don't know a lot and it's um it has to change and I think that Fiscal Firecrackers is a real place where people can learn through Lehman's terms. Lehman's terms? Is that Lehman. Lehman. Yeah. yeah. That word. Whatever. Lehman that was the one. bank. Yep, yep. Yeah. See the expert. CCC, <laughs> the expert comes and just comes and just saves the day. Uh, it's um, my brain. Okay. So. Katie, you bring up such a good point is that women, especially girls, just aren't getting started. They're not sure what to do. They don't even know where to begin. So we just right away say, let's remove those obstacles. And so we are throwing tips at them. And then they're also on the website. We're saying, stop and write it down. So it's not just ideas. It's it's actually through doing. And we're not taught this crap in school. Yeah. No. Or or my girls have it in school. It was like a one-hour workshop at the end of the year. Here's a tip that Galia taught me that is so helpful is in 20 minutes, pull out your credit card statement and look at all the recurring charges. You will see stuff. I have apps on my phone that were from when my kid was a baby and I was stacking letters. I was doing all this animated stuff and he's 15 years old and I was being charged $6.99, $9.99 a month, $12.99. Go through that really swiftly and you'll immediately have a savings. Just delete those apps that you're not paying for anymore. That's a real quick tip that you can take in your pocket and walk out with today. That's what the show's about. But I've been teaching personal finance for a long time. It is sometimes hard to get people to talk about their money. So that's where this collaboration between Susan and myself is so key and so different because she just makes people want to listen to it. First of all, I I laugh at it. I'm having a good time. I'm more relaxed. I'm yes. literally. I've we've had sessions where I'm cracking up. My cheeks hurt. I can't. I'm like, okay, stop, stop. Catch my breath. Like your butt cheeks so she or your really, face cheeks. Yeah. See, see, both. Right. So Susan is our way to laugh about it and make it enjoyable and fun instead of just like, and I feel like you are the Charlie Brown teacher or whatever where I can't hear it. Right, right. And and they're not, she's not just making them laugh. She's sharing her stories, by the way. They're her really firsthand stories, which are amazing. Yeah, because I've done, I mean, Katie, as a kid, I blew through money when I was 16, 17, 18 in the 80s. I would go out and buy pop rocks and parachute pants and just the dumbest stuff. When Anytime I made money, I would just go and blow it. A Pac-Man, concert tickets to see Adam Ant, concert t-shirts. When, if I had known Galia, I would have put that in a Roth. I would have put that in a 401k. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. No one, no kid is doing this. By the way, Katie, do you hear Susan saying the lingo? Like, she's not just saying the words. Like, she knows what that means. She knows the Roth. She knows the 401k. Yeah, I've learned all this because I listened to Galia. This girl, I know nothing. 
And the fiscal firecrackers, I mean, again, how am I expect, like, it's like I want my kid to know this stuff, but how is my kid going to know this stuff if I don't know this stuff? So thank you for your podcast and for doing this service for the rest of us. Um, What is the best way in your, both of your opinions, and Susan, you can go first, what is the best way to set a kid up for success from birth with a savings account? Well, that's a great question. So I um, did not know the laws governing this. So as soon as I peed on that pregnancy stick and got two stripes, I said, I got to open a, a scholarship 529. And I took the stick down and they said, oh, no, no, you actually have to have a person with the social security number to open up a 529 college account. You can't show up with a peed on stick at the bank. So that's a good tip. But as soon as you have said baby. <laughs> Susan. And you're holding your baby and it has a social security number, that's go time, babies. You can do it. That's when you can start saving in a 529. And again, the earlier, the better. The numbers are bananas. If you start young and early, that compound interest, it just multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. Someone was telling me a statistic. If you put $6,000 in an account for an eight-year-old, so just imagine putting that in an account for an eight-year-old, $6,000. You never mention it to the eight-year-old. You never contribute one more yeah. penny the rest of their life. When they open yeah. that account at the yeah. age of 68, which is my husband's age, if you open that account, there'll be a million dollars in there. What? That's I compound am in interest. Shock. And by the way, Katie, that this is probably one of the most important concepts is no matter where you are, start immediately because the power of just money growing over time is insane. Wait, and Galia, tell us what is a 529? Sure. So a 529 is a college savings account that has amazing, amazing tax benefits. So if you invest in the 529 in your state, and so the best place to find it is collegesavings.org. Okay. Collegesavings.com. So the idea is that you put the money away, you save a little bit on taxes now, but then the money comes out tax-free. And you can use it for any college that's accredited in the United States. So even though I'm in Connecticut and I'm in Connecticut's plan, my daughter's going to school in Massachusetts, it doesn't matter. It's coming out tax-free. So it's growing tax-free and it's coming out tax-free, which is our huge benefits. So here's a tip. Stop and write this down. That if you have a child and you want to save for the 529, tell your family, your parents, say, don't buy them another toy they don't need contribute to their 529. Take that $25 and let's put that towards the 529. I do that for my sister. I have goosebumps. Like what a gift. Right? And honestly, I've taken so for granted, like between us, you know, and everybody listening. (laughs) (laughs) See, this is where I get in trouble. Um, No, between us, my in-laws are incredible savers. And as their gift to both of my children when they were born is that they opened up their college account, their 529, and they add money to it yearly. My parents had the motto, every day is a holiday. So they were like 16-year-old Susan, (laughs) um, where it was like, you can't take it with you. So like, (laughs) if we've got it, spend it. Um, And it's sort of, cool that I married someone who was raised differently than me. And I I love having you on because I I need we need to figure out 
what our values are with money and how we're raising our children. Susan, how, okay, so 529, big tip. How do you, when did you start talking to Gable about money? At what age? That's a great question. I think I started talking to him about money when he could talk, uh, when he was a baby. So one thing we always did, my husband and I were on board with this, is to always do slow shipping on Amazon, not Prime. And that way would build desire. So if he wanted a fire truck or a Lego or a Batman figure, he would have to wait and not get it at three o'clock today. So that was one thing that we did is to teach him uh, anticipation, to build desire that stuff matters and you just don't get things every day at three o'clock that you have to wait for it. My jaw is on the ground. Everybody listening, I have never heard of the idea of not selecting Prime and having the packages take a while. That is the one of the greatest tips I have ever received on a <laughs> podcast episode in my life. I, it has never occurred to me that that was an option. It has never occurred to me what that would teach my children because I have – we did one other money episode with this lovely man by the name of Ron Lieber, who my husband, oh, yeah. Adam no, we, Shapiro. Yeah. You know Ron. We love Ron yes. Lieber. Of course. I read his book. Yeah. I've been reading great. him in the New York Times for years. Yeah. So Ron, he's amazing. He's been on Katie's crib. Oddly, my husband plays him in a movie coming out called She Said, which is why I know him. <gasps> yes. Um, yes. But – we talked a lot about in the age of Amazon, how are you supposed to not have a spoiled brat? And ding, 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 ding. No one ever said, don't hit Prime. Pick the one that takes three weeks. So, Galia, when did you first start talking to your daughters about money? Can you remember? The womb? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um so two things I was thinking about is I remember, and I lived in the city with them until they were seven or eight, and you would just, you know, do anything to get out of the apartment. And I remember we were walking to Dwayne Reed, and they were three or four years old, and I think I said, oh, you can get one thing, and they, they wanted three things. And, you know, of course, I'm like, well, there's a lesson here. I'm like, no, you can get one. And I think I even said, and, and I'm limiting it to $5. And there were tears, there was, you know, a little temper tantrum, but it was a lesson. It was an absolute lesson. And I wasn't saying no. I was like saying, no, you have to choose. You have to prioritize. They chose and, tobacco. You know, so yes, <laughs> tobacco. <laughs> and yes, I could have said, you know, I could have been mortified because, you know, I was like, oh my God, everyone's looking at me. My, you know, daughter's having a temper tantrum. I'm going to, fine, I'll just spend the $15. But no, I was like, no, one. Like I stayed calm. And, I, and it's like, what a lesson. It was such an amazing lesson. Both of you have really just rocked me, and I'm sure the Katie's Crib listeners are going to be rocked as well. I think that there's mom guilt, working, things like that, where it's like, you know, oh, did you get me something? Did you get me a treat every time I come home from working a job that's away? What did you get me? It has never occurred to me to say, well, it always occurs to me, pick one thing, of course. I do do that. And I do say when he starts to flip his lid, I say, I, I said one thing and I'm only going to say it one time. I don't want to have to repeat myself. Um, but I've never said a price limit. I've never said a price limit. And he knows what the number five looks like. 
You know what I mean? Like, like, why do I just assume that because he's four and a half that he's not capable? He's completely capable of running around the drugstore downstairs in Budapest and saying, look, do you see what numbers above that on the thing? It says that it's $10. We can't have that one. The limit today is $5. I, I like to throw in the word you get to. So Gable, you get to have one toy today at Walgreens. You get to pick out one. So that's like, wow, fancy. I get to. It's an honor. And that kind of phraseology, mm-hmm. I think, tees yes. them up to feel like it's a treat. That Changes it rather than you can only write. You get to. I haven't even gone to my second tip, but then I did have another tip that I remembered. Really, at, at an early age, three, four years old, I showed them the bill. I showed them the receipts. We'd go to the diner. I'd say, here's what it costs. I'm putting 15% tip on it. Do they get it? I don't know. Eventually they get it. But why not tell them? What are we trying to hide? If we're trying to hide what things cost, that's another story. So even Katie, with you saying that you want to spend a lot on vacations, I'm not judging that. I'm like, great. So say I'm spending a lot on vacations, but next week we eat Trader Joe's. Like, Show them that you're making your, this is what's important to you. And this is where you're spending your money on. But from an early age, I was like, here's the, you know, here's the credit card. Now it's like Apple Wallet. You just show them the phone. But still, why not? What are we trying to hide it from them? One thing I love doing is, uh, I guess since Gable was eight or nine, is that we would have dinner and I'd, I'd give him the cr- our credit card and make him pay for it and make him sign it and do the math for the tip. And I'd supervise, but he was in full control to do the math, to figure it out. I would guide him and side coach, but he uh, really wanted to raise an individual who knows how to pay the bill and knows how to include gratuity. Um, So now I can sit in the car and he runs in at 15 and pays the bill and knows how much to tip and then comes back with the receipt. Like I said, I have, I've given birth to my nanny, to my assistant. (laughs) This is incredible. And speaking from someone who was a waitress for like a decade, I thank you. I thank you for instilling the importance of (laughs) gratuity and tipping. And I'm sure you're a good tipper in your son. Um, Galia, what was your second tip? I know you. this is really your third, which like I'll take as many as you get. It's my third. (laughs) So the second, and this isn't maybe the best financial move, but I I really, and I think my daughter was six or seven. I took her to the bank, our little local, it was Chase, I think at the time. And we opened a savings account. And I say the reason it wasn't a good financial move is because their savings rate is abysmally low. Like you can get a much better savings rate in an online savings bank. <laughs> and that's FDIC insured and such. But but my point is I wanted to right away, and really she was six or seven years old, teach her the power of saving. And I said, we're going to open a savings account. I'll fund it for you. I'll open it at $50. When you get tooth fairy money or lemonade money, you know, you'd give me a little portion. And and she was so excited, so excited to go to the bank. And I remembered when I was a kid, you'd get the passbook. And so that was a little bit what I wanted to instill. But it was such a powerful event, exercise memory. And then back up, part two, you know, after a year, we get the statement. She's like, mommy, why isn't the money growing? And I'm like, because the savings rate is so low. So then we opened a mutual fund. <laughs> and that was online. But it was like, just look at that lesson. Go to the bank, open a savings account, look at the statement. Why isn't it growing? And I'm like, you're right, because the savings rate is like 0. 0.000025. She was six. But there was something about going. There was something about that's very adult and it's very experiential. Well, and and by the way, I also offered to match her. I offered to match her. I said, if you do $25, I'll match you $25. So it was an incentive. 
And and by the way, I don't I don't want to you know ding Chase. It was really most of the sort of brick and mortar banks have low savings rates. Yeah, but of I just course, wanted that power. Yeah, right. You know, Chase is great. Yes. I don't want to say anything yes. bad about Chase. You know. No, no, no. We love you, Chase. Great, great. You know that. It's just, if you're looking for a savings account that could right. that could do better, you might right. do some research on that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Marcus, Marcus is great. And also, <laughs> listen, listen to your fiscal firecrackers episodes to teach us where we should be opening savings accounts. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of our favorite Netflix series, Bridgerton. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad, is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor, and meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. And I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd. Why do you think we don't talk to our children about money? I think it's so heated. We all have money stories from our childhood. It's raw. It makes people feel vulnerable. People get really weird and private around money. And sadly, I think our kids suffer when we don't bring this up. I think our relationships suffer when we don't. I just think it's so important to turn the lights on in the room and let everybody know what's going on. You know, to build upon, like I joke when I first started my business, that instead of an MBA in finance, I should have gotten an MSW in uh, social work. Um, <laughs> but we <laughs> we don't talk about it. Let's start because our parents didn't. I mean, we really are doing, we're learning from our parents. So we have the choice to change that. Right. And I think there's also fear and shame is that we don't want to talk about it because we don't know. So we're like, well, if I don't know, how am I going to talk to my kid about it? Like, I'm embarrassed that I don't know what a 529 is. Like, thank God someone else opened it. Like, I don't know. I'm the the actor, you know. But I do think that there is something about topics that people don't feel didn't come from households where people spoke about them. Like, when I my house was growing up, you know, we didn't speak about 
race. We didn't talk about sex. We didn't talk about money. Um, but everything was fine and fun-loving and super liberal. And and so they were doing better than their parents, which was their parents were just talking shit about a lot of that stuff. Um, so they did better in that they weren't talking about it at all. And now I feel like we're sort of moving into this hope. I'm hopeful through fiscal firecrackers and Katie's crib that we are moving into a place where we do speak about these things with our children, even though not having the voc, I don't have the vocabulary, but I'm trying to learn so that my children comfortably has the vocabulary. I mean, Katie, you might not have like per se the investment vocabulary, but you've got plenty of vocabulary. And I think that's like a great lesson here. Like you can talk about how much things cost and the choices you're making. And, and P.S. And, you've got like, talent. You've, you've got it. Yes, but this is really interesting. Like why have I never showed <laughs> – thanks, Susan. I just like – I. it is weird that I've like never showed my kid a bill or like I've never said like – Wait, aren't they three years old? <laughs> they're not. Yeah, no, he's three? four and a half. He's four. four and okay, half. I was but like, I was said, like, they're still little. <laughs> but he is being raised in a. You know, I talked to Ron about this, like in a Hollywood place. Like he has to coach families on, like, why aren't we taking the jet? Like, I'm not kidding. Like, spoiled people. Now, I'm not at that level, but it is concerning that, like, anything my son asks for, he gets. In as long, you know, right now the trade-off with a four and a half year old is a lot based in behavior, right? It's a lot based in like, well, you know, you've been super kind and loving and generous to your sister and sharing really well this week. So you know what? I do think that thing that you've really been asking about, we can consider it. I think if we if we continue on this path, like this is looking real good for you, honey. Like you are such a good big bro. I'm really appreciative of how helpful you are. Tell me about chores and allowance and when you introduced those to your children, if you did or didn't. A, I do believe in allowances and I do believe in paying for chores. And that's very controversial. There's, you know, you can hear the stories, the pros and cons, but I want them to learn the power of working. And especially that, you know, when you have parents that are making decent incomes, it's easy to be like, well, go mow the lawn. Oh, wait, somebody does that, you know, kind of so you can't. <laughs> so their dad, my kid's dad used to always say that he's like, you know, go mow the lawn. Um, oh, yeah, you can't. Um, so you do want them to learn the power of working and getting an income. And right now it's through chores. And so our chores are empty the dishwasher, walk the dog, feed the dog, um, you know, help fold the laundry. I mean, these are not backbreaking. But yes, absolutely. And if you don't do it, you know, it's not that you don't get your allowance, but, you know, we do have that discussion. And I've had to do that once or twice. Um, but here was an interesting story that I was remembering is I remember going on vacation. We used to go to the Jersey Shore. And at the beginning of the week, I'd give my girls whatever, $20, $30 for the week. And I'm like, you can spend it any way you like, because I didn't want them to have to say, Mom, can I have an ice cream? Mom, can I have this? Like, And I also wanted to teach them the power of... So day one, my daughter, one daughter blew it all at the arcade. Nice. You know, and it was my nice. kind of girl. Right. I know. I was style. like, <laughs> you know, whack the mole yeah. and ski ball. Yeah. And- yeah. She's in Vegas, baby. She's just like <laughs> making it rain. Not the Jersey Shore. <laughs> and it, it broke my heart because, you know, like she wanted, 
I, of course, I bought her ice cream. I'm not that terrible, but you know, she, I did buy her ice cream. I bought her ice cream, okay? But you know, she wanted a souvenir, and I just, no. But you got to keep bringing it up. Like, had you saved, you could have gotten that other thing you might want on day four, right? You know, and my other daughter was loaning it out at 10% interest. Or, no, she wasn't, but I'm kidding. But, but I'm telling you, it was a really, really great money mistake. Like, learn that. Um, and then just, I think, a more official tip is that when they were a little bit older, around 12, 13 years old, I gave them a debit card, and I would have them put money on the debit card. And so it wasn't a credit card, so they couldn't necessarily like just spend and spend. And the debit card was attached to an account that only had their money in it, $100 or, you know, very nominal amount. So if say they wanted to go shopping, they could look at the debit card and see how much they had. Or if they wanted to go to Starbucks every day. So just they started to make money decisions. Susan. Yeah, we're still at, he's 15, we're still at five bucks a week. Pretty cheap over here. Doing our Amazon delivery three weeks away. His chores are light though. I'll tell you, they're light. They're like crystal light, Pepsi light. Um, he has to feed fish. <laughs> That's not a hard pet to have. That's a good one. Um, he has to make nope, sure nope. there's not a pizza box in his sheets. I have found pizza boxes in his sheets. Um, oh bring God. his glasses downstairs. Load the dishwasher a couple times a week and then empty the dishwasher. And just be freaking kind. Nice. You know, be kind. Yep. Okay, so your kids are older. What What is the age in the states that you live in that kids are allowed to have jobs? I think 15 here. You can shoehorn yourself in at 15, possibly 16, but 15 seems like when they're they're interested in you. Right, so 16 for my daughters. But I will say babysitting, we started young. I was like, call the neighbors. I was 12 Let's when I was Be a mother's helper. Yeah. Be a mother's yeah, helper. absolutely. I was like, get on there, go go next door to, you know, put a flyer in the mailbox, 12, 13 years old. My neighbor, Karen, she's got three kids. Ask her if she needs some help after school. <laughs> that is so, yeah, I have that right now. I have, a 14-year-old boy that, I have a 14-year-old boy that comes over to my house on Tuesday afternoons for one hour in the backyard, runs my son like the Labrador retriever, and <laughs> I give him $10, and he's so happy, and my son is so happy, and it's just everybody wins. That's it's a win. Um, yes. mm-hmm. that, that is, is so smart, Katie. It's a win-win. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the line, we can't afford that, or holding back. There's this whole thing about, you know, your kid really wants the fancy lacrosse stick. I don't know. I'm making this up. At lacrosse. Obviously, I'm from Long Island, and Golly is from – spent years in Long Island, so lacrosse was a big sport there. Um, they want the really fancy stick. Is there – and you can afford it. Are there lessons to be had, should you say things like, we can't afford it and get them a lesser stick. What are your opinions on that? I'm like, no, no, I'm choosing not to buy that. We just say I'm choosing. I don't want, yeah. Our yeah. family can't like, afford I, why lie? that cable. We can't afford that, but we're choosing to get the baseline lacrosse stick. And then we're going to take the difference in the money. We're going to donate, donate that to the Ukraine. Do you do that a lot in your household, Susan? Do you do a lot of like talk about charitable stuff? Yeah, we're very grateful. We're, we've mom and dad have worked hard, and we're really grateful that we can't afford those pair of shoes. But you know what? You don't need the fancy pair of shoes. You can let's just go with the the standard black pair. And then look, there's about twenty five dollar difference in those, and let's let's throw it into something that calls us. 
and give it to somebody who would need it or an organization that would need it. But I like the empowering choice Love to say, I, we, this family, we choose to do this. Rather than saying, we can't afford feels very victim-y to me. Yeah. And it's, mm. first of all, you're lying. So like, and, and I'm not saying you would lie, So Katie, teach them that. Lying. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start young. Teach them to lie, swindle their way. <laughs> I I was just going through this because my son is such an ungrateful poop. Let's <laughs> He's not. I'm putting that on him. He's not ungrateful. My kids at the age where if he doesn't like the gift that's been given, it is a clusterfuck <laughs> of of awful shame. He's so. It's like on one hand, I've taught this child to be so independent, not taught him. He is so independent and fiery and wonderful and dynamic. But I also want him to be like obviously super polite and loving and kind. And right now at a four and a half year old, you kind of can't have both. So when he gets something, he's like, I don't like this. I mean, it's like so rude. It kills me. But I can't teach him to be like. I have to, I've been trying to say to him, when you don't like something, you know, you still say thank you so much. Um, and at first I caught myself because I was like, you just have to say like, thank you so much for the gift. I love it. And then I was like, oh shit, I'm already teaching him to lie. Fuck, I'm messing <laughs> up already. This is so hard. What are you supposed to do? I know. I know. Trust me, we made plenty of mistakes, Katie. So Plenty many. of money mistakes here. Like we are, <laughs> I mean, I can't speak for Susan. Yes. Oh but my God. I've got lots of vices, you know. I showed him the movie Airplane when he was seven. I didn't know there was boobies and jello in it. Uh, I've done a lot. <laughs> I've done this. I make yeah. mistakes every day. Yes, yes. And we've made money I mistakes. I think you're yes. doing so great. And the money mistakes we want them to make. Yes. Um, you've taught me some of the greatest tips I have had on this entire 50 billion episodes we've done. I mean, there are some real – I mean, if anyone is listening, it's have a baby open to 529 – uh, it's order Amazon Prime, not Prime, three weeks delayed. Take your kid to the bank, open a savings account um, for the experience of it and to teach them savings. Can I ask you a question, Katie? Yes, my love. Okay, love. Ah, yeah. All right, here it is. If you could go back in your money history, what did you do right mm. and what do you wish you could do differently so that others can learn? Whoa. Okay. I think the thing, I did two things right. The first, well, I didn't do it. My dad did it. Does that count? <laughs> it counts. Here's what, here's the best thing that ever happened to me in my, in my financial life that I think my parents did right because I've been shitting all over them in this podcast because they have money issues. But my dad's greatest gift that he gave me was that he paid for my college education, which is insane, and nobody gets that. And on the day I graduated, he shook my hand and he said, congratulations, you're at zero, and I'm done now. Good luck. And my parents could have definitely kept covering me. They were really well off at that time. They went up and down a lot in my life. But at that time, they could have kept it going. And my dad was like, oh, no, 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 like, we good. So your rent is $900 a month. You've been living in this apartment in New York City for the last three years of school. The only thing I'm going to help out with is your cell phone because you have to call mom every day and I will cover your health insurance until you're 26. So good for you. But your Metro card, your apartment, your drinking, your food, your groceries, that's on you. And 
as scary as that was, and it was, it was walking into every restaurant in New York City and applying, it was such a gift. Um, so I think in my financial life, that was great because I got on my two feet on my own the like the minute I was 21. Do you think you worked harder because of that? Yeah. I mean, I worked so hard. I had so many jobs. My therapist, when I moved to LA, had never met anyone like me. I had more side hustles than you even <laughs> I mean, I've had every job known to man, a personal assisting, catering, waitressing, nannying, running a catering company. I was a wedding planner's personal assistant for three years. I mean, I have had a million jobs. Um, and the only thing was I would leave them all at a drop of a hat if I had an audition or a callback. So I also got fired from a million jobs and quit a million jobs because they always came second fiddle. But my bosses always kind of put up with it because I was so good at the jobs while I was there. I would say to them, I will give you 150% when I'm here. But whenever I got to go to an audition, you got to let me go and you got to support me. But I am going to work way more hours than you're paying me. I'm going to work through the night. I'm going to make this happen. And I did. Um, okay, now what did I mess up? <laughs> Was that your other brilliant question? I, I just need to insert here. That makes me love you so much. Hearts are flying out of my eyes for you. That you had all those jobs. What a wonderful thing to have in your toolbox as an actor. I think everyone should have to work in the service industry. Totally. I think it should be mandatory. I think there should be money education in school. The fiscal firecrackers should have a school handbook that's given to all young children of what the fuck we're supposed to be doing with our money. And then I think everyone should be a waiter at some point. I just do. I think you would be a different person. I just Or in the service industry at all, whether that's in clothing or whatever, but like where you are serving people. Um, I just think that was – I learned more in those 10 years than probably anywhere else. Although, no, right now mothering is crazy. <laughs> yes, I know. Mothering, mothering is really hard. <laughs> it is. But so if anyone's listening that is working the side hustle jobs that Katie is, just take a little bit and open a Roth IRA. Just a little bit. Just a little crumb. Mm-hmm. Never did that. I know, and most of us Never don't. And I that. work with I work with a lot of freelancers and artists, and I'm like, and Susan knows we've kind of made up our own little saying: just take a little crumb. If you had just taken a hundred dollars here and there, fifty dollars here and there, and put it in a Roth IRA, the power of that compound interest. So we love that you worked hard. Oh, we're not, my. but we're kind of like, great. We love that you did that. Now let's do a little more because that's our job is to have you do a little bit more. You guys are smart. Yeah, should have opened a Roth IRA. I should have. I didn't. You know, just- I also didn't know anything about taxes or anything at the time. And so I remember the first time I finally booked a big acting job, my finances looked drastically different than the year before. Like I went from making $24,000 a year to like way more than that. And so that's when I started getting audited right and left. It was insane. So I also think probably you have to surround your, if you're not a money person, listen to fiscal firecrackers and surround yourself with people you trust who you can ask what the hell you're supposed to be doing and get over your own shame and embarrassment so that you don't get audited and owe $37,000, which is what happened to me. <laughs> I didn't have it. <laughs> I know. I always tell my freelancers, it's not your money. Take that money and put it away in taxes right away. Create a separate savings account. Oh, my God. It's not your money. Oh it's God. the government's money. I was 26 money. and I used to get packets from the, from the government like this, and I didn't know what I was looking at. Okay. But this isn't about me, guys. This is about motherhood. Um, I have learned 
so much today. I'm I'm honestly like I, I've just learned so many very applicable, actionable, mothering things that are so helpful. And I'm just so grateful to you, Susan and Galia, for spending the time on Katie's Crib and talking to all of our mom listeners, because money is one of these things we have got to talk about. We've got to take pride when we talk about it and remove any of the stigmas or your own money issues or whatever you grew up with surrounding money issues to not pass that on to your kid. Show them the bill. Have them practice the gratuity. Open up a savings account. Do it with them. So, and I'm not, and this is not like a plug for me, but a group that I work with in New York City is called the Freelancers Union, and I do workshops for them. And so we literally teach personal finance 101, investing 101. There's a lot of like investing 101, personal finance classes that are being taught at places. So just, you know, and I would say really focus on taking it from an independent professional, like not a you know, a money manager, but have them take a personal finance 101 class and investing 101. Those are the two key classes. I'm so, I'm such a huge fan of you both. And everyone, please listen to the Fiscal Firecrackers on anywhere you can listen to your podcasts. Please visit the website. Please talk to your children about money. Thank Thank you. you, Thank you for having us. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. I want to hear from you. Let's chat. Questions, comments, concerns? Let me know. You can always find me at katiescrib at shondaland.com. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Summon your anticipation for an all-new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. This season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix, May 16th. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop starting May 2nd.